actually the skiing here sucks and there's lots of rocks and that's why it's called Roxbury. <laughs> and when you walk out, burn the tape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> burn the tape. That's Chris Stearns, half joking that I should bury this story because, well, local skiers like Chris enjoy the laid back vibes of a place like Platykill. I'm Brett Barry, and this is CatsCast, the Catskills podcast. When I started skiing in the Catskills, there were other small mountains to choose from, like Bobcat and High Mount and Cortina, where I first clicked into a pair of skis at age five. Today, Platykill Mountain in Roxbury is the last of the Catskills' independent ski areas and the kind of place where the actual owner might personally respond to an interview request. And that's just what happened when co-owner Danielle Vete responded to mine and set up a meeting at the lodge on a Friday afternoon. Okay. Hi, I'm Danielle from Platykill Mountain. And you are the co-owner of Platykill Mountain. I am, yes. How did that come about? So did you start by skiing here or working here? Yeah, we actually both met here at the mountain way back when. My family skied here. And my husband, Laszlo, was the director of the ski school at the time. And um, we just kind of started hanging out. And next thing you know, he's buying a ski mountain. And (laughs) I was living in New York City at the time and um, just decided to give it a shot. I moved up to the area here and we've been running it ever since. We bought it in 1993. My husband was still on his own at that point, (laughs) but I joined him in 96. That seems like a significant investment, risk, and a few other things. (laughs) Buying a ski mountain, what was involved? What was the state of the mountain when you you bought it? And was there anything that needed to go into it right away? That's pretty funny that you say that because we always joke around and we say, so you think you want to run a ski mountain? (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely been a challenge. It's not, um, not exactly all it's cracked up to be. It's a lot of, a lot of hard work. And my husband always jokes around and says, if it was easy, everyone would do it. But yeah, I mean, when we first took over, there was virtually no snowmaking here at the mountain. And of course, with the way the winters go up and down, um, that's such a necessity. So that was something that we tackled right off the bat and is something that we've really continued to invest most of the money that we make from year to year into our snowmaking system, which is, which as you can imagine, is not cheap. So tell me a little bit about that. How many trails do you have and uh, what percentage of those trails have snowmaking? So about 75% of our terrain does have snowmaking coverage on it now. Um, Every year we expand more and more, but there's so many components to it. You know, it's not just like putting guns. It's putting the pipe that's going to feed the water. It's the pipe that's going to feed the air. Which trails have air? Which trails have electric? How much water do we need at one time? Where do we need the water? Where do we need to put the water. So it's a challenge. It's always kind of a, it's, it's actually very strategic as far as how they figure out where they're going to make the snow. It's not so easy. Um, a lot of people think, oh, it's cold. So just turn the guns on and snowmaking should be just covering, blanketing the mountain overnight. It's a real challenge for a smaller ski mountain that doesn't have the capabilities to have a full on system that you can literally like with the flip of a switch, you know, cover trails in a night. But, um, you know, we're building on that every year, building on that infrastructure so that it's that much easier for us to to get snow down and to recover quickly from a warm spell and kind of tackle different areas, you know, where we know are weaker spots on the mountain. 
Are you seeing the effects of climate change in terms of the snow that's available, either from the sky or man-made over the past uh, decades that you've owned this mountain? I mean, I can honestly say that it's a challenge every year. Every year poses a different challenge. Is it going to be too cold? Is it going to be too warm? You know, too warm that the snow melts, too cold that families don't come because it's freezing cold and their kids can't withstand, you know, an hour or two in a lesson. As far as like snow quantity, like varying over the years, I just feel like even from when I started back in 96 and I skied here much longer before that, because I grew up skiing here on the mountain, natural snowfall has always been the challenge. But with the technology of snowmaking, we've come so far. I think that we just can't be complacent in any way. You can't ever think, well, we usually get snow over there, so let's not make the snow over there. No, the challenge needs to be to make the snow and make it deep. If we make it deep enough, it'll withstand some bad weather periods. In the beginning, it was kind of more about like, let's get the trail count, let's get the quantity, we can go back and make more. Uh, but that mindset's changed a bit. It's kind of more, no, let's make it deep, let's make it hopefully once. <laughs> um, natural snow is always the icing on the cake. We can't really rely on the natural snow. You can't even have cold weather and just not have precipitation. So, you know, I think um, people also are getting used to the fact that the mountains all have snowmaking. You need to have a base. You can't rely on natural snow for a base. This is just our product and we need to make the donuts. <laughs> we need to make the snow. We have to have great coverage. And I think the guests are just becoming more and more used to that, that the mountains have snow, they make the snow, and, you know, the, the goal is just to meet those expectations. So they always have that in their minds that like, hey, if we go to the mountains, they'll have snow. Speaking of snow, we're, we're meeting on a Friday afternoon. The lifts are, I guess, closing or closed. People are kind of chilling out. And we're, we're looking at a good amount of snow coming in this weekend. So does that pose its own set of challenges? Or are you marketing and getting the word out that it's going to be a great weekend, that kind of thing? Of course, yeah, we're always promoting, getting people hyped up about snow. Everybody loves snow. Of course, you can't, there's no money that can buy the fact that someone's going to have to shovel some snow out of their driveway, and they'll start to think about skiing. When there's some snow on people's driveways or on their cars, they immediately start to think about winter, winter sports, skiing, snowboarding, snow tubing. So we're very uh, in tune to let's be positive, let's think snow, let's be realistic, but we'll report it when we get it. As soon as we, you know, get some snow, people get super excited. We're really lucky. We're in the Western Catskills. We get a lot of lake effect snow, but we also benefit from the nor'easters that come up too, because we're kind of smack dab in the center of all that. Sometimes we lose out because we're on the fringe of either or, but a lot of times we'll have the overlapping effect and we kind of get the benefits of both. That's always a plus and we're definitely going to be promoting it and we're going to be promoting what we get as we get it. We never have to worry about preparing for snow. That's the least of our worries. Snow is, snow is it. <laughs> Who are your customers? Where do they come from? So the majority of our customers are coming from downstate. Long Island is a very popular market for us. Westchester County, northern New Jersey, up the Hudson Valley. We get a lot of people from the Hudson Valley area. Um, we do get skiers to come south from the Albany capital region. It's a little bit of a challenge there because skiers tend to want to hop in the car and head north, not head south. But our location here, getting a lot of natural snow because of our location, that people know that we've got some great quality skiing here. I mean, our mountain has some good significant vertical and um, snow conditions are good. They don't get skied off because we don't have a lot of 
major skier traffic that you find at some of the larger resorts. So we do get people kind of from all angles, but primarily from downstate. And do you have your local regulars? Oh, yeah, we have a great local following in the community. Um, you know, unfortunately, we're not in a large population, <laughs> but we do get people from like an hour, you know, radius around that we consider our local community area from west to Oneonta, east to Kingston area. And we are the Catskills region. You know, we've got the, the four ski mountains here. Um, so there's enough to go around. And we definitely have some great support people that recognize that we are the last really family ski mountain um, around and, and the challenges that that poses in, in, in many respects. So let's talk about that. Yeah. There's four mountains in the Catskills. Yeah. When I was started skiing, there were more. Now you've got a mountain that's run by the state, a mountain that's gone semi-private with exorbitant membership fees, and a mountain that's now owned by a huge ski conglomerate based out of Colorado. So you're the last independent ski mountain. What's your relationship with the other mountains in terms of how you position yourselves or compete? And are you concerned that it'll be more difficult to remain independent in the face of those mammoth <laughs> kind of establishments? Well, we're sure as heck going to hang on. A lot of our customers and, and new customers, too, that are finding out about us are, are loving the fact that we're still in it, that we're still in the game. Because let's face it, it is definitely a challenge. Our closest competitor being the state of New York. Um, at Bel Air Mountain. So that's definitely a huge, huge challenge for us. But I think that people are coming around full circle and, and it's not all about, you know, the biggest and the best and the fastest lifts and the sushi and the, the cafeteria and that kind of stuff. It's more about the experience. And I think people are coming full circle and not really looking at us anymore as like mom and pop. Even though we are, it doesn't really have the greatest connotation. I think they're looking at us more as like authentic. Um, comes to mind real genuine and people appreciate that difference and appreciate that the mountain is privately run by a family literally so when we say we're for families we truly are a family for families you know it's hard to say when you're a corporation or when you're the state of New York so as much as all of that poses challenges I think we also see that as an opportunity and I think that our goal is just to continue to emphasize who we are and stay true to who we are. And it's a completely different feel. So as you were saying, I think there's a, a real benefit to that, especially as some mountains go semi-private and uh, cater to an exclusive clientele with hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend. I think there will certainly be people who are excited to come back to something like this. What are some of the other things that might keep you up at night? <laughs> the thing that you always are concerned about is, you know, is everybody going to have a good time? Because our business is the fun business. This is everyone's vacation. This is everyone's free time. This is everyone's spending money. You know, they're coming to your place and where they want to spend their free time. So it kind of has a very high expectation that you want to make sure that you live up to that expectation. And, you know, sometimes when maybe the snow's not as good or whatever, you know, we always tell people, you know, come for the whole experience. Come for the lodge. Come for the fireplaces. Come for the apres ski, the live music the great bar, you can get great food. We have snow tubing here too, skiing. So I think that that's definitely something that challenges me or plagues me that I just hope that everybody comes here and has a great a great time. Do you and your husband have uh, kind of dedicated roles in managing 
this mountain? Yes, we do. It's very clearly differentiated. He's kind of got his things he's good at. I've got mine. Um, he handles a lot of the operations, a lot of the outdoors, behind the scenes type things. And I'm more involved with, um, you know, inside the lodge and marketing aspects of things. How many employees do you have? In the middle of the season, I think we have like 50, 50 to 75 staff, maybe even more. Um, and then we have a full ski school as well, which has made another 50 people there. And then we have a full-on ski patrol, a volunteer ski patrol, but that's another 50 or so. And then is there a, a capacity for visitors? We do like to kind of stay dialed into our numbers. You know, we want to have that great experience for our guests, but we really don't limit it as far as, you know, keeping a count and cutting off. We do do that with our snow tubing. Um, it's more of like a smaller contained area. There's a certain amount of tubes, a certain amount of lanes. And again, we want everybody to have that quality experience. So we don't overbook it and have folks standing in lines or whatever. We'd rather, you know, have the experience be top notch. Is there ever a lift line? We get some lift lines, but it's nothing like you would imagine. It's not the trails that get crowded, it's the actual like infrastructure, the, the lodge, the parking. That's what we get maxed out on. You might look around the mountain and there'll be like no lift lines. There's hardly anybody skiing on the, on the trails, but the lodge will be maxed out. The bathrooms are packed, there's lines, you know, the parking is maxed out. So it's our physical infrastructure that limits us, not our actual like skiable acreage and, and the lifts. When I started skiing, it was a, a set price until pretty recently, maybe, maybe COVID changed that, but uh, now you have the ability to buy tickets online at all the resorts, I think, including mm -hmm. yours. There's kind of a fluctuating price for the ticket. How does that work? Yep, that's just exactly right. And um, ever since COVID, that really came, like you said, more into play um, and it's stuck. And it's it's really the way it is with really anything that these days, you know, people want to know that like it's set, that it's booked, you know, everything from lessons to rentals to their tickets. They just want to lock it in. It's great because now people lock in their visit date. Um, the earlier you buy, the cheaper the pricing. I mean, it's it's a great concept. Let's face it. Like we want to reward someone who committed to come to our mountain two or three weeks ago versus the guy that's going to wake up in the morning and say, hey, it's a sunny day and we just got 12 inches of snow and I'm going to head skiing. Why should those two people pay the same price? And um, it's been wildly successful for, I think, not just our mountain, but for the ski industry in general since COVID, that this is just like the new way that people buy online. So, I mean, that way, if you have a day where maybe the conditions aren't as great, hey, you didn't pay as much for your ticket. You committed to the mountain. You benefited. You got a discounted price because you bought in advance. And, you know, it's great for us because those skiers are coming because they, they bought the tickets. So it's kind of like win-win for everyone. How would you characterize the terrain here? Well, we're situated in a natural ski bowl, so we've got two natural peaks. Um, we've got wraparound beginner green circle novice trails two miles long off either peak that wrap around. And then it makes sense that as you get more and more towards the center, it gets steeper and steeper. A lot of our terrain is classified as like a New England meandering cut type trails, you know, that are each trail is like very different. Um, they're not big wide swath type groomer trails. We've got a couple of those, but there's just a lot of like classic cut New England type trails, which are people love. And 
Although our mountain is known for having some pretty nice advanced terrain, we've stayed focused over the past few years in our novice terrain. We've added a brand new trail just last year. Um, this year we took an intermediate trail and totally bulldozed it and worked at it to make it now a novice trail. So we're really trying to offer more terrain for the novice. It sounds cliche-ish, but you'll find something for everyone here really. You know, you'll be able to find those two mile long novice trails. You'll be able to find the double black diamond steeps and you'll have a pretty great experience without a lot of skier traffic on the trails too. As busy as you are running this mountain, do you still have time to ski? <laughs> well, you wanted to ski today, didn't you? <laughs> you know, I don't get out as much as I used to. I think that's kind of kind of how it goes whenever you're in the business. It's like the shoemaker's kid, right? You don't have nice shoes when you're the shoemaker's kid. I do get out and ski a bit, but not as much as I'd like to. You know, on the busy, busy days when the skiing's at its best, that's really when you want to be out there and skiing because the conditions are awesome. You, you just can't. You've got to be on top of things. So I have the rare opportunity to speak to the owner of this mountain. If I'm coming here for the first time, what would you advise? What are the secrets uh, or the tips and tricks to have the best possible day? When do I come? Where do I start? How do I get the most out of this mountain? Well, we hope you feel it from the moment that you arrive. It just doesn't have that overwhelming feel, which you do find at a lot of big resorts now. Multiple lodges, multiple parking lots, shuttles. The one nice thing about Platakil is being that we're in that natural ski bowl, all of the trails kind of meander down to that one base lodge. So you don't have to feel overwhelmed when you get here. A parent who's gonna take some kids for the first time doesn't have to worry about the kid being at the wrong lodge or the wrong shuttle or whatever. All the trails you know, come down to the one base area, which I know parents and new visitors here absolutely love. Heading to the rental shop, you know, we preset all of our gear so you could fill all your rental forms out online before your visit here. That was another thing that came about as a result of COVID and has stuck around. But you can fill out your forms and so when you arrive, all of your gear is already preset waiting for you. You know, head on over to our ski school. We have an amazing ski school. Ski instructors, snowboard instructors, class sizes aren't large. We in fact don't even really do group lessons anymore. It's not all about, you know, grouping 20 people into like station teaching and follow this group and kind of like masses. We don't want to lose you. We want you to take a lesson and absolutely love it. Yeah, that might entail a little bit more money for a private lesson, but I think at the end of it, you'll say, I got it, you know, and that's what we really want to do. So it's like all those different points of contact that makes an experience here different. It's everything. It's really not just one thing. It's not, it's the layout, it's the staff, and we're able to pull it all off because we are smaller and we are a family mountain. And wood stoves and open fires right in the lodge and yeah. uh, and local beer on tap. Absolutely, yes. We've got the wood burning stoves in the lodge, the open fire pit. We're adding adding wood to it as we speak. <laughs> and yeah, we've got a great bar and lounge. And yeah, we do definitely hone in on keeping things local and all in all ways possible. And that goes right down to the beer that you're drinking, kind of having all the local flavors on tap, which you know all of our guests love. So yeah. Do you have a favorite trail? I do. I love Ridge Run. Ridge Run is one of those classic New England style trails that I mentioned that when it gets great snow, we can open it. We're a little limited on our snowmaking on that trail, so it's magical when it's open because it's not something you can take for granted because it's not one of the ones that we can, can hit and cover like some of the other ones. So it's kind of special when it opens. I've got other favorites too. That's just one of my favorites. Okay, so if you're averse to crowds and prefer a smaller scale experience, 
Platykill might be just the ticket. But what if you want the mountain completely to yourself? Well, that can be arranged. Find out how right after this. If you're enjoying Cat's Cast, please leave us a review. And don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app of your choice, so you never miss an episode. And for print news, might we suggest a subscription to The Mountain Eagle, covering Delaware, Green, and Schoharie counties, including brands for the local region, such as the Wyndham Weekly, Schoharie News, Cobleskill Herald, and Catskills Chronicle. For more information, call 518-763-6854 or email mountaineaglenews at gmail.com. And now back to the Platykill Lodge with owner Danielle Vete. And let's talk about one thing that is really unique to this mountain, which is you can rent it. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, that. That's become super popular. That's been a huge opportunity for us. We are a Friday through Sunday operation in holiday periods. So Martin Luther King Day, Christmas week, President's week. And then aside from that, we've just been Friday, Saturday, Sunday, literally from the standpoint that when you operate a business like this, it just financially, it doesn't make sense. And I don't know that how much longer we'd be in business if we had to sustain a Monday through Thursday walk-up type guest. And it kind of evolved on its own. Um, we had some skiers approach us one day and they didn't realize that we were closed. It may have been a random Tuesday or Wednesday and they came to the mountain and they said, what, you're closed? It was after probably some great snow we'd had. They arrived here to the mountain in our parking lot and they asked us the question, what would it take for you guys to open the lifts for us? And we kind of joked around and before you knew it, they were throwing around some numbers that we said, oh boy, we, we, we might be onto something. And literally that's exactly how organically it started. And ever since then, um, Monday through Thursday, we rent the mountain out privately. This year, our price is $8,500 for all services operational. So we'll open any department you want. If you want the bar or not, you want the cafeteria or not, you don't have rentals, we won't staff that up for you. You want lessons, we'll be sure to have instructors. So we tailor it to every group's needs. And uh, yeah, that's taken off hugely. In fact, this year we're completely booked on our private mountain rentals and we are already booking reservations for 25. And the really ironic thing is that, you know, some people book it, you book it a year in advance, you know, some people get not the greatest weather day, let's say socked in with fog, rain, but the people have an amazing time because it's a group of people who are all connected some way. Cozy ski lodge, fireplaces, food, beverage. Some people are skiing, some are tubing, and it's just amazing. They say, you know what? We had a great day. How do we book this next year? <laughs> so it's a really interesting phenomenon, and it's been great for us and for the mountain. So much nicer than a conference center if you wanted to do yes. kind of a corporate retreat or something. I'm Absolutely. sure that that's happened. Absolutely, yes. We get a lot of corporate, for sure, that rent them out and bring, whether it's their clients or their staff, depending on the nature of, of their, you know, what kind of rental that they want to have. But it's really unique because now we can tailor it. You know, if a corporation comes in and they want to cover the bar for two hours or they want lunch on them, it can be run however you want it like that. Yeah, so that's really unique. You know, since you've purchased the mountain, uh, a lot of your resources have gone into snowmaking. Is that going to continue? And kind of what are you looking forward to for the future of this mountain? 
Oh, of course. I mean, the snowmaking infrastructure and the improvements to it are never going to end. I don't see how you can ever say it's done. You always want to make it better, easier, faster, more modern technology. So, you know, that's definitely where we always want to head. It would be nice to upgrade our lifts. You know, we've got great lifts, but it's a matter of just like living up to guest expectations. It's what they're used to. It's where they're skiing other mountains, being able to keep up. Not that we need high speed detachable lifts here. We just don't get that volume of skier. But you know, it would be nice maybe add another lift, you know, maybe expand that beginner terrain even more. Um, The potential to possibly, you know, expand the mountain one day is always, uh, always a dream. You know, if you build it, they will come for sure. You've been doing it for so long now that it's, it's obviously, I think, sustainable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely sustainable. I mean, it's very rewarding when you see, you know, families growing and you see kids growing up and then you see kids that were little that are now returning and they're more college kids and they're bringing their friends and they're saying, oh my gosh, I've never been to this mountain before, you know, and just kind of seeing it grow again using that word, but organically, seeing that happen really is rewarding. They're saying some snow's coming this weekend, so got everything crossed, pajamas inside out, (laughs) and all the things you do, snow dances and all, and just getting ready. Yep, praying for snow. After my chat with Danielle, I walked past the fireplace and over to the ski shop, where, it turns out, a small acoustic jam session was taking place. Shopkeep George Quinn on guitar, Foster Green on mandolin, and Chris Stearns on trumpet and spoons. Hey! My name is Foster, and I ski here, and I play with George on occasion, and George runs this here little ski shop and keeps his guitar here, and when I come down, I bring my mandolin, and we, uh, we jam. And sometimes we get joined by uh, people like uh, Chris with his horn. And his spoons. And his spoons, yep. <laughs> and sometimes there's a fiddle player that joins us, and sometimes another guitar player. You just never know who's going to yeah. show up and do it because it's, it's an old tradition here. And you've been skiing here for how long? <laughs> uh, since I was uh, mid-30s, and I'm now 76. So about 40, 40 years, something like that, yeah. What would you say is special about this mountain? Oh, (laughs) everything. It's so much more friendly (laughs) than the bigger areas. And it's, uh, I mean, especially on a Friday like this, it's, there's hardly anybody here and you just have the run of the place, you know, but even on the weekends, it's, it's the only place to be as far as I'm concerned, just because it doesn't get so darn crowded. And plus the people are friendly and the the beautiful variety of of trails, everything from real easy to uh, pretty nasty and everything in between, you know, just a nice place to be. This is Mike, my home away from home. I'm George V. Quinn. I've been here 25 years. All right, so you run the ski shop, and what do you think is special about this mountain? Well, the trails are old-fashioned style. There's big, wide slopes, but there's also some very narrow trails, which I like. And they have good natural snow here, probably one of the best in the Catskills. And uh, and also the lodge here, you get to know everybody on a first-name basis, which you wouldn't get in a larger ski area. And when they hear you playing, do they come in and grab an instrument? Yes, we usually have a spare guitar. We usually play out in the cafeteria after skiing. People bring their beers down, and it's a little party of its own down here. And who's this joining you today? Chris Stearns. He's, he plays, he's one of the few people... Who, who plays 
the horn to bluegrass style music, old time yeah. music. Hey, <laughs> how how often do you join these guys? Whenever I can. And you're playing uh, a trumpet and yeah, and man, spoons. Yeah, I've had this for 50 years. That trumpet right wow. there, 50 years. Manchester, New Hampshire. I got that, 1973. Wow. Mother of pearl buttons. Just had it restored on 34th Street at Jay Landris. And here we are. Yeah. How's it sound, guys? Oh, great. And uh, I've been playing these guys help me get back into music about 20 years ago. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Yeah, they helped me get back into music because I had to, you know, put the horn away to work and support uh, family. So here I'm back uh, not supporting the family and not working <laughs> and playing uh, the mother of pearl things. <laughs> Actually, the skiing here sucks, and there's lots of rocks, and that's why it's called Roxbury, <laughs> because there are buried rocks, and when you walk out, burn the tape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> burn the tape. <laughs> Just then, Foster jumped in and suggested it might be okay to share this place with other people. I like to, I'll even tell people where I go fishing, you know, which most people are so guarded about because most of them won't ever show up and it's just like uh, if we get a couple more people here out of this business it'll just be a couple more people and uh, there's plenty of room you know Cats Cast is a production of Silver Hollow Audio be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode you can also find us at catscast.com and on Instagram at catscast. Many thanks to the Nicholas J. Juried Family Foundation for their generous support of this podcast. Catscast is also supported by local organizations and listeners like you. I'm your host, Brett Barry. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Well, bake those biscuits, baby, now. When you bake those biscuits, I'm Alabama bound. Walking in my sleep, baby, walking in my sleep. Up and down the Dixie line, walking in my sleep.
was that for an ending? Fantastic. <laughs>